Some of the towns and villages it held have now been retaken by the military. You're listening to the news on RTHK. It's three minutes past eight. Europe is on its back. Now it's really impacting everything. Economic efficiencies, which means some more job opportunities. More stable investment has been preferred as a clause. Money for nothing. Good morning and welcome back to Money for Nothing on this first day of trading after the holiday. EU finance ministers agree to extend financial aid to Greece by an extra four months. U.S. stocks surge to a new record high on optimism that Greece will stay in the eurozone. And Chinese IPOs in the U.S. overshadow a growing market retreat. Greece is still in the euro, but has it sold illusions to voters? Our U.S. correspondent Barry Wood gives us his take this morning. Then joining us in a discussion on markets is Bering's head of Asian multi-assets, Kim Do. Connie Bolland from the Hong Kong Economic Research Analysis is our guest host this morning. Good morning, Connie. Good morning, Renita. So Greece is the word yet again. What's happening here, Connie? What are your thoughts? Well, I think Greece has, buy, has bought themselves some time and uh, given another four months uh, to meet the bailout program. But uh, they have a very, very tight deadline uh, by today to uh, renew their reform uh, agreement with the EU. So um, it's um, quite a tough uh, Timing. Indeed. In 11th hour talks in Brussels, Greece and Eurozone finance ministers have agreed on a deal to extend the existing bailout for a further four months. But the condition is that Greece has until the end of today to submit a list of economic reforms that meet the existing bailout terms. Connie, do you think this means that there is still possibility of those reforms failing to satisfy the EU and the deal possibly falling apart? There's always that possibility, and uh, by all me- measures, the structural reform that they have to undergo is pretty tough amid an unemployment rate of 25% and a debt ratio of still 175% of GDP. Uh, but they've got no choice, really, because um, uh, leaving the Eurozone is not an option, and uh, you know, I think um, staying the, uh, on the Eurozone is actually part of um, the, 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 the um, voters' um, demand as well. So basically, um, they just have to bite the bullet. <laughs> All right. So in order to secure additional financing, Greece has had to make substantial concessions to its Eurozone partners. It'll stick to its original bailout terms and it won't seek uh, a, a write down of its debt. Now, Finance Minister Yanis Varoufakis believes that this will help to stabilize Greek banks. Today's decision puts spades to this fear, to end the scaremongering. And I have no doubt that shares of the banks are going to rebound. They already are rebounding, quite naturally. And Greek depositors will be reassured that Europe has found a way to collaborate with Greece in such a way as to respect both, as I said before repeatedly, the existing rules and the new mandate. I shall leave it to the officials of the European Central Bank to make the announcements, which I'm sure they're going to make, uh, that will improve the climate much, much further. 
But even if Eurozone financials lower, uh, officials, excuse me, lower interest rates on Greek loans, is four months long enough? Guy Labas from Jenny Montgomery Scott doesn't think so. You know, the funny thing is, if you kind of listen between the lines of what he's saying really carefully, you can hear the sound of a can rolling down the road a little bit that's just been punted. Like, four months does not do a lot. He's a good kicker. There's some serious structural mismatches between what's going on in Greece economically and the rest of the Eurozone. And as far as I'm concerned, there are three ways to fix it. Permanent bailout mechanism some sort of continental transfer tax and income tax system, which really has no political will behind it, or, well, a fluctuating exchange rate, and we all know how that has to happen. So, so this doesn't really do much in the long run to solve any of the problems. Well. Meanwhile, U.S. stocks rose to a new all-time high. The Dow Jones rose almost 1% to 18,140. The S&P 500 advanced just over half a percent to close at 2,110. Fixed income markets paired earlier gains following the deal as investors shifted out of safe haven assets. The yield on the 10-year Treasury closed at 2%. Blackstone Vice Chairman Byron Wien is cautious, however. I'm still out there bullish for the rest of the year. Uh, I think valuations are reasonable. I think earnings uh, may be somewhat disappointing because of the strong dollar and oil. But I think there are going to be a number of companies that are going to produce good year-to-year earnings. And I think there are opportunities to make money in the market. I think people are getting more cautious because of not only the geopolitical situation, but also the earnings disappointment. I mean, at the beginning of the year, most people were looking for 125 for earnings for the S&P 500. They're looking at 120 or lower now. So it means that the S&P is going to have a flat earnings performance for 2015. And that's not the stuff that bull markets are made of. Investors will now be looking to Janet Yellen for guidance when she delivers her twice-annual testimony to Congress tomorrow, starting with the Senate Banking Committee. All right, let's bring in our international economics correspondent, Barry Wood. He joins us on the phone now from Washington. Good morning, Barry. Good morning, Renita. Good morning, Connie. Good morning, Barry. So, Barry, by about Thursday last week, there was a huge loss of goodwill, you know, given uh, Varoufakis' stance. Did uh, Cyprus really have to step in and save the day? Well, I think he did. Yes, there was a phone call between Prime Minister Tsipras and the German Chancellor, Angela Merkel. I think they talked for 40 minutes. That's quite a while to talk about the euro currency and a Greek bailout. So I think that's what really changed everything. And then Friday night, when they had the euro group finance ministers all gathered with Varoufakis in Brussels, that's when they made the deal. And now the Greeks are working furiously to put these regulations on the table, which they'll submit in the next few hours. And then if everything is fine with the technical experts, there'll be a conference call to approve it on Tuesday. But, you know, there is this question of whether they have sold illusions to the Greek voting public. I mean, how much of the day has actually been saved? The bailout has been extended um, and there's a change in language to three institutions. Uh, that doesn't. <laughs> of course, that doesn't mean the Troika has been done away with, does it? Well, that's right. Nothing has really changed in that regard. And it's very interesting to read the document that came out Friday night, and that um, makes it very specific. Greece is not permitted to unilaterally change the 
procedures or the policies outlined in the loan agreement. They can do it only in consultation with what we've been calling the Troika, and that's the tough spot they're in. I agree with what you just said, and that is he's got a political mandate to end austerity, and yet he has to continue austerity, at least so it seems, to keep the loan going. So it's a tough spot for the new Greek prime minister. So, Barry, what do you think happens between now and the end of today, you know, uh, which, which is the deadline for submitting all of these reforms? Well, strangely, I'm optimistic. I think that um, the Greeks are going to talk a lot about getting Greek citizens, particularly the rich, to pay their taxes. And that's something that's been a subject of discussion for five years. There's been almost no progress. So that'll be music to the ears of all those 18 other finance ministers, particularly the hard money people like the Germans, the Dutch, the Finns, and the Slovaks. So that's going to be there. And I think as well, they'll probably roll back any attempt to raise minimum wage or to raise pensions, which would really violate and throw into question their whole fiscal target program. And I think also, Renita, what they're going to do is start really talking seriously about structural reform, allowing some of these closed industries to have longer working hours and some of the really tough regulations that make it impossible to be a pharmacist or to open your pharmacy or to get agricultural products you know licensed by the state so i think the structure i think it's going to be good but we'll see well, Barry, it's very well talking uh, about getting the rich to pay the tax, but how, in effect, can he can the government uh, actually implement this? Well, that's a big question because previous governments, if they've been serious, they failed, and now you've got a leftist government. I suppose with the large majority, they can force things through the parliament. But you're right, Connie. How can that translate into the rich, who probably keep all their money elsewhere, paying their tax? So it's going to be tough days for the Greek prime minister. And I think politically, he's very much on the defensive because he was against austerity. And I can't see how he can throw it overboard. He's got to do some austerity, even if he wants to emphasize tax and structural reforms. So, um, you know, this, of course, extends the bailout for about four months. But what happens at the end of four months? Uh, Will there be targets set for implementation? Do we expect that later today? Well, I don't I think so. Yes. Four months. You know, the Greeks wanted six. The Germans and the others said you get four. The problem is, if you look at the broad picture, Time has been purchased for five years. This Eurozone is in a stronger situation in terms of internal cohesion than it was if the Greeks had gone out of the zone five years ago. So I think now there's more relaxed attitudes saying, look, Greeks, if you don't want to do this deal, you will get debt relief, of course, at the end. But if you are demanding things that we can't produce, we the creditors, then gosh, you're in a tough spot. Schäuble, the the German (laughs) finance minister, keeps saying, I feel sorry for the Greeks. So, you know, Varoufakis said that the deal marks a new era in the relationship between Greece and the EU, but somehow I'm not seeing this. What am I missing, Barry? 
No, I agree with you. I'm not seeing it either. Ferrofakis is... Um, He's a, he's a pretty amazing guy, but um, I think he is, um, he's not walking as tall as he was. He's on the defensive. So everyone was in a great mood recently when the ECB announced its bond purchasing program, due, of course, to begin in March. Um, but, you know, should we still be in a great mood, or does this whole Greek uh, a nightmare just uh, highlight that the problems are still looming? Well, the, the problems are there, Renita. I mean, credit is frozen in Europe, and I think the ECB is trying to follow the U.S. and the U.K. and, to some extent, the Japanese model. I think they need to do this. This will help. But um, it doesn't help the Greeks, uh, really. Uh, the Greek banks are a basket case. They've had tremendous flows out of their system, uh, and, and they're being on life support. That's not going to change from QE. Now, Connie, uh, you know, considering that Greece is such a small, small portion of the overall GDP of Europe and certainly of the world, I mean, how much of a problem is it for us here in Asia? Uh, I suppose it isn't the direct impact that is the problem here. Um, it is the demonstration effect to other uh, poor uh, peripheral countries in the Eurozone in the south. Uh, if Greeks um, you know, that, that do kind of uh, fall out from the bailout program, and, um, um, what happens to Portugal, Italy and Spain? Um, and also the other thing is a lot of these uh, governments have bought a lot of, um, of the Greek bonds uh, to help the bailout. So you all become quite nasty and ugly. So, Barry... Connie, Connie, I think you're absolutely right. That is the fear in Europe. But look what happened Friday. The Italians, the Spanish, the Portuguese, all lined up against the Greeks. But they fear populist parties in their own countries. And if the Greeks, quote, get away with overthrowing some of these strict measures, then these politicians now in power in Italy, Spain, Portugal, even France, they worry they're going to be perhaps next. So I, I think you're spot on. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Barry. Everybody is lining up to the queue. Um, Barry, what about uh, the U.S.? You know, is the timing of interest rates uh, hike back in the spotlight this week with uh, Janet Yellen testifying to the Senate Banking Committee? Well, it is, Renita. But, uh, you know, uh, we haven't had all those many years to observe Janet Yellen. But I'll tell you, I will predict pretty uh, firmly she will not reveal when rates are going to rise. She will uh, use some language that everyone will quote, and uh, she won't have said very much. But we do know rates have to go up in the States. It's a matter of when. I just don't think that when she talks to the Senate and later to the House, she's going to reveal anything about when that might be. Mm, so more vagaries. Um, with stronger than expected jobs data, could we see a rise sooner than June, do you think? No, I don't think so. You know, it's sort of like what Connie was saying about that demonstration effect, the fallout from any kind of Greek action. That's what's really feared in the States and globally is... How will markets react to an interest rate rise? We don't know that. We know we're on an emergency regimen for the last several years, since 08, really. But no one knows when that first rate increase comes from the Fed, what that impact is going to be. And we're a little bit, I think, all of us, unsure because we're in uncharted territory on this one. 
All right, Barry, thank you so much for joining us this morning. We should let you go so that you can go watch the Oscars. That is Barry Wood. He is our international economics correspondent joining us from Washington, D.C. Uh, Australian markets are open this morning and up uh, 10 points to 5,856 in currencies. One euro currently buys you 1.13 US dollars. The US dollar is trading at 119 yen and one pound sterling is worth 11 Hong Kong dollars and 93 cents. The financial secretary will deliver the government's budget for 2015 to 16 on February 25th. The budget speech will be released simultaneously on the website www.budget.gov.hk. The speech and a leaflet can be obtained at the public inquiry service centres of district offices or at the footbridge entrance to the central government offices at Tamar that afternoon. Leaflets can also be picked up at major MTR stations, shopping centres and selected locations. The time is now 8.20 a.m. and it has been a bumper year for Chinese IPOs in the United States last year. Thanks largely due to Alibaba's record $25 billion listing. Um, this, of course, has overshadowed a retreat from that market by almost as many Chinese firms that entered it. 14 Chinese companies delisted from U.S. stock markets last year due to concerns over compliance costs and low valuations amid allegations of fraud against a number of them, uh, a number of firms that uh, spilled over into broader suspicion of Chinese enterprises. Let's bring in Bering's, Bering Asset Management's head of Asian multi-assets, Kim Do, who is a regular guest here on Money for Nothing. Good morning, Kim Do. Good morning. Good morning. And Kung Hei Fat Choi to you. Kung Hei Fat Choi to you too. Thank you. <laughs> so uh, looking at this, uh, you know, issue of delistings last year sort of being overshadowed uh, by, uh, you know, Chinese IPOs in the U.S. this year. Do you think, Kim, that we have seen an end of this kind of delisting activity? I don't think that we can really say that. I, I think that uh, this is um, a development which will continue. There will be more IPOs on NASDAQ and there will be more delistings to come. Okay, Kim, what about, um, you know, closer to home, things like the PBOC has trimmed the reserve ratio requirement by 50 basis points. Do you expect to see more rate cuts uh, from the central bank uh, post-Chinese New Year? We definitely uh, will uh, think um, that um, the PBOC will continue to uh, uh, not just uh, reduce the reserve requirement ratio, but also to cut interest rates as well. And the reason why we are saying that is because we think that the the economy in China at the moment is uh, quite sluggish. We think that it's only growing at about something between five and a half to six percent currently. And should the government uh, still want to achieve seven percent this year, uh, then the government will have to continue to cut interest rates and also inject more liquidity in the financial system via a cut in the uh, reserve requirement ratio. Um, hi, Kim. Uh, this is Connie here. I just wonder hi. what kind of interest rate cuts you are expecting, like how many basis points and uh, kind of uh, the timing of these rate cuts. Um, as far as the size is concerned, um, the best way to gauge that is to look at the real interest rates. Real interest rates is the interest rates uh, adjusted for inflation. And as we all know, inflation in China has been falling. So if you are a borrower in, in China 
you're actually paying a lot of uh, interest rate in order to um, do business. So we think that the real interest rates in China at the moment is above 4%, so that's quite high. So we think that uh, over the next 12 to 18 months, we are projecting another 150 to 200 basis points interest rate cut. And we also are projecting the same amount for the reserve requirement ratio cut. In terms of the timing, I think that it will be gradual. Uh, so it will happen throughout uh, this year and possibly a little bit into next year as well. Kim, um, we're, we're understanding this morning that short selling will soon be allowed uh, by investors in it in the latest boost to the Hong Kong uh, Shanghai Stock Connect scheme. What does this actually mean for retail investors? Can you explain? Um, well, as far as retail investors are concerned, I, I don't know whether uh, they would be involved in that. That's the first thing. Um, I don't think that retail investors are uh, very much active in short selling. Um, but um, they could be impacted by uh, short selling by um, professional investors or by institutional or hedge fund investors. Uh, however, I think that... Um, Short selling really, uh, in the big scheme of things, provides more liquidity in in the market um, rather than you know being a bad thing in itself. So why has this been introduced? Is it because uh, the success of the Stock Connect has been somewhat dismal thus far? No, no, I don't think so. I think that this is just part of the internationalization of the Chinese equity markets and and the and you know in in, in most. Um, I mean, in Hong Kong, obviously, Hong Kong listed stocks, you can short sell um, many stocks in Hong Kong, and the same goes for Korea, the same goes for for Singapore and, and elsewhere. So I think that this is just part of the globalization process, the part of the internationalization process of uh, the listing requirements in, uh, in, in the markets. So today is the first trading day uh, after Chinese New Year. What are you expecting? We think that market will be up this uh, uh, today. Um, U.S. market was up uh, last week, um, and I think that um, investors who came back um, after the Chinese New Year will feel that um, the world is not such a horrible place. And, um, <laughs> uh, um, you know, previously, I think that you had um, the Washington correspondent talking about the deal which is being made uh, by between Greece and the Troika, although it is not a great deal, but it is buying time again. And, you know, that that will help to, to the sentiment. Oh, well, that, that will definitely help. All right, so HSBC is due to release full-year earnings today. Uh, Kim, how do you think uh, that provisions for fines related to the latest tax evasion and money, money laundering issues will affect the results? Um, we usually actually don't comment on individual stocks, but I think that, um, unfortunately for the big banks, um, this hopefully will be towards the end of uh, the penalties which uh, were imposed on them rather than the beginning of it. Uh, it's been, I think, about three years that authorities around the world have been focusing on their dealings and um, as a result have found a number of, uh, of improper um, uh, activities and, um, and have um, uh, imposed penalties on them. But I think that hopefully this is towards the end of it. All right, Kim. Well, thank you so much for joining us this morning. That is Kim Do, and he is Bering Asset Management's head of Asian multi-assets. Well, uh, far away and across uh, the Pacific in Hollywood, final prep is underway for the 87th Academy Awards. And of the 24 categories, it's the prize for best picture that is the most coveted. Here's the BBC's Vincent Dowd to go over the nominees. 
How did we end up here? This place is horrible. Birdman is the most inward-looking of this year's eight Best Picture nominees. Michael Keaton plays an actor making a comeback. But most pundits think the award will go either to Birdman or to a boy. What do you want to be, Mason? What do you want to do? For Boyhood, Richard Linklater filmed intermittently for 12 years. The young boy we see grow up is fictional, but half the nominated films this year are based on real people. Let me ask you a question, Chris. Would you be surprised if I told you that the Navy has credited you with over 160 kills? American Sniper, directed by Clint Eastwood, is the story of Chris Kyle, a U.S. Navy SEAL who was a sniper in Iraq and who was shot dead in Texas two years ago, whereas Selma is about non-violence. One day, when the glory comes, it will be ours, it will be Selma's main focus is Martin Luther King and his fight for America's Voting Rights Act of 1965. Some hoped David Yellowo would be Oscar-nominated as Dr King. He wasn't, but fellow Brit Eddie Redmayne is playing physicist Stephen Hawking. The universe is expanding. If you reverse time, then the universe is getting smaller. All right. What if I reverse the process all the way back to see what happened at the beginning of time itself? Wind back the clock. Wind back the clock. In recent weeks, the theory of everything appears to have eclipsed a rival nominee, also about a British scientist. It's the greatest encryption device in history, and the Germans use it for all communications. Everyone thinks Enigma is unbreakable. Let me try, and we'll know for sure. Perhaps it's that the Alan Turing biopic The Imitation Game is intense, while the Hawking film surprises the audience with romance. Whiplash is about a tough jazz instructor and his potentially star pupil. Some critics think it's the best of the lot. Last year, it was pretty clear that 12 Years a Slave would win. This time, the competition for Best Picture is varied and wide open. The time is now 8.29 a.m. and we are coming up to the end of today's show. The, let's take a quick look at the markets. Um, the Nikkei is up 164 points to 18,496. Australia's ASX uh, index is up 25 points to 5,871. And Australia's, uh, uh, excuse me, Sol's Cosby is up 9 points to 1,971. Brent crude oil, $60 and four cents and gold is at one thousand two hundred and one dollars per ounce so connie here we are at the end of the show we've got the oscars to look out for this morning and later this week we've got the hong kong budget coming up anything else we should be keeping an eye on uh with a view to financial markets well clearly we talked about the uh the, the greece situation so by the end of today we should uh, um you know uh, know what the reform package would be and whether it will be accepted. And of course, uh, we still have Japan's inflation data coming up and, uh, and we'll see, um, abenomics, uh, actually in effect, um, uh, taking place, uh, whether it actually works. <laughs> All right. 
All right, we'll keep an eye on that for sure. Abenomics uh, in focus. Thank you, Connie, for joining us this morning as guest host. Connie will be joining us every Tuesday morning on Money for Nothing, or most Tuesdays, hopefully. Uh, and she, of course, is a Hong Kong Economic Research Analysis founder and chief economist. And I'm Renita Malhotra-Hora, wrapping up for Money for Nothing. It's now time for the half-hour news summary with Ben Pelletier. The U.S. Secretary of Homeland Security says he is taking seriously a threat by the Somali Islamist group Al-Shabaab to attack shopping malls in North America and Britain. Security has been stepped up at one shopping complex in the state of Minnesota, which has a large Somali population. From Washington, the BBC's Naomi Grimley reports. Jay Johnson was responding to a video released on Saturday by Al-Shabaab, which focused on the attack the group launched at the Westgate shopping centre in Nairobi in 2013. The video appeared to suggest similar